Please take up your scriptures if you have them with you and turn with me to Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. We are going to look today briefly at a passage in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 14, and, and Paul's look at the relationship between works and the law and our salvation. And so follow along with me as I read Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quote, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words from Paul to the churches of Galatia that remind them that if they began by faith, they will finish by faith, and that the works of the law lead to cursing and to damnation. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would open our eyes and open our ears and bring us comfort in this the comfort that you have brought throughout the ages of the church in knowing that we come to salvation, a salvation that is rooted in Christ alone, that is given to us by grace alone, that is uh, revealed to us by scripture alone, that becomes ours through faith alone and is all done to the glory of God alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anybody know what today is? Reformation Day. Good. Thank you for nobody saying Halloween. At least out loud. Now, today is Reformation Day. Today is the day we celebrate or remember um, Martin Luther going to the church in, Witt, in Wittenberg there and, and nailing his 95 theses to the door as, as he wanted to start a discussion among the leaders of the church on, on the, the relationship of our salvation to specifically indulgences, but ultimately as he progressed in his belief and in his knowledge, the the fact that salvation was, was related to faith and not to works. Uh, Martin Luther was born in Germany and 
um, was groomed by his father, who was a merchant in the area, a miner and a merchant, to, um, to ultimately be a lawyer and ended up leaving the university to become a lawyer and, and became a monk in the, in the church at the time. And, and he wrestled greatly throughout his life up until probably about 1519 to 1521, uh, many scholars believed, where he, he had the final epiphany. He had grown up and he served in a church that taught that God's grace got you across the starting line of salvation. But it was up to you and your ability and your your willingness to keep the law that kept you on the path of salvation and ultimately got you across the finish line. And as Martin Luther lived his life within the church, this brought him great distress and great discomfort. History says that he would spend two or three hours a day in the confessional with the, the, the priest there in the monastery. And he would confess his sins and he would be racked by his guilt and he would leave thinking that he had confessed everything and 10 to 15 minutes later would turn around and head right back to the confessional to the point that the priest finally had to say, I'm putting a time limit on you and you're only allowed in here once a day. He had no hope. He had no peace because he understood that if it was up to him and to the law and his ability to keep the law, that he had no hope. But he didn't know where to find hope. And so as he was appointed to the church in Wittenberg to be their priest, their pastor, he would, and, uh, and to be a professor at the college there, he was asked to to teach on Paul's gospel as laid out in Romans and as laid out in Galatians. And today I want us to look at a message that he found in studying Paul's letters that finally brought him to a place of hope and a place of peace. Paul begins today, our passage today in Galatians 3, 1 through 6, by asking the Galatians a series of questions that are designed to get these Galatians to think about the beginning of their faith. And he starts very boldly. He starts very much in their face by saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul is coming to the Galatian Christians and he is saying to them, you know, it's almost as if a witch has come along and has cast a spell that has so muddled your minds that you have lost sight of where you started and where you're going. And, and in coming to them and asking them who has bewitched you, he reminds them of the reality of where he started when he was ministering among these churches of Galatia. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. That word translated clearly portrayed is a, a visual word. And if we were going to write that sentence today, we would say it was as if I posted it on a billboard. The truth that Christ was crucified for you. Many of you, if you're driving through fairly, you've noticed that within the last year or so, we've gotten a new billboard right over here over behind Chris and Missy's house. It's a digital billboard, and, and I was talking to a friend of mine that didn't, when it was first put up, he didn't realize it was there, and he was driving through in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden the screen went bright white. And it was almost as if he was blinded. He said he almost drove off the road. It was so blinding. The light was so bright in his eyes. 
That's the picture that Paul gives here. He said, it is so clear what I preached to you when I was in your presence, when I was in your church. It's not the first time that Paul has has focused on the clearness of the cross. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, that when I was among you, I knew nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians, he says, the most important thing that I have ever taught you that Christ, that is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. With this bold beginning, he reminds them that all I ever preached and proclaimed to you is the truth that Christ died for sinful humanity so that they might have salvation. And he moves on and he says, so I just want to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or did you receive the spirit by believing what you heard? Or and he goes on after repeating, are you so foolish? He says, after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for doing nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? The overarching question that, that, that Paul says here is you started with Christ. How do you continue? Do you continue in your faith because you keep the law or do you continue in your faith because, well, you have faith and because of Christ crucified? Many times when Paul would establish a church after he would leave, a group of people would come along. We've given them a name. They're called Judaizers. And the reason they're called Judaizers is because they would take the law, specifically the law of circumcision, and they would, excuse me, they would come along behind Paul and they would say, if you truly want to be the people of God, you need to keep the law. Yeah, the gospel is good. Yeah, the cross is a good place to start. But if you truly want to be the people of God, you have got to keep the strict measure of the law. And Paul is asking the Galatian Christians here, he says, how did you start? Did you start with faith or did you start with the works of the law? And if you started with faith and not the works of the law, how are you going to continue? Are you going to continue with faith or are you going to continue with the works of the law? And that's the question that is before us today. It was before Martin Luther in his time. It's It's before every Christian. We believe, we preach, we teach that salvation comes through faith in the work of God. But where does the rest of our Christian life come from? Does it come from our keeping the law or does it come from that same faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? And Paul's argument when he was first in Galatia and now is that Your Christian life, your Christian hope comes through your faith in the work of Jesus and in nothing else. Yes, you are called to live a holy life, but you are called to live a holy life because God has already made you holy through the cross. How many times, brothers and sisters, are we tempted to look at the promises in Romans? You know, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How many times are we tempted to look at that and go, well, you know what? I'm not doing very good in my holiness pursuit. So that's probably the exception to the rule that God has there. 
Paul says repeatedly, no, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. If you started by faith, you will persevere by faith and you will finish by faith and faith alone. If God gave you the spirit at the time of conversion by faith, he keeps the spirit with you now through faith and you will commune with God face to face in eternity through faith in the finished work of Christ. There is nothing, and we'll look at that here in a few minutes, there is nothing we can do that makes us good enough to deserve either being saved, staying saved, or ultimately being glorified. We can never be good enough. And Paul says, I clearly shown to you as if it was on a digital billboard on 219, The reality that all of your hope is in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain what the problem is in trying to root either the beginning, the middle or the end of our salvation in observance of the law. What the problem with that is. And the problem is in verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. The law is meant to show us exactly what is necessary to earn salvation from God. And what it points to is the reality that the only way to earn salvation from God is to perfectly keep every little jot and tittle of the law. Every little dot on the I, every little cross on the T within the law has to be kept perfectly in order for us to have life. And there was a group of people as Jesus walked the earth that thought they were there. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the law and he explodes it and he shows us that it drives to the heart. He says, you haven't actually committed adultery. Terrific. Wonderful. That's a great thing. But if you have looked at someone other than your spouse with lust in your eyes, you are guilty before God of adultery. You haven't actually murdered anyone. Hallelujah. Literally, hallelujah. Thank God you have not murdered anyone. But have you ever gotten so angry with someone that you have called them a name? That you have that you have condemned them with your words that that are rooted in your own pride and in your own anger. Jesus says, then before God, you are guilty of murder. He does the same later on with idolatry and worry. He does the same with truth telling and breaking promises. And Jesus makes this point as if your hope is in the law to save you, to keep you saved or to get you all the way to your eternal hope, you are in trouble. Because as James says, if you break even the smallest portion of the law, it is as if you have broken all of them. And breaking the law leads us to condemnation before God. But Paul returns in this passage to the clear proclamation of the cross, where he says that our hope, where we are hopeless before the law, our hope is in the fact, verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
Once again here, he was reminding them of what he has boldly and clearly proclaimed for them, plastered on the billboard. That Christ has died, Christ became a curse so that we could be redeemed from the curse. The curse that we deserve because we have sought to justify ourselves according to law keeping fell upon him so that we could be truly justified by the righteousness of Christ. Jesus became a curse for us so that we could be righteous. And that righteousness, that redemption that bought us initial reconciliation with God is enough to see us all the way through to the end. Our future, our hope, our security in Christ has nothing to do with our righteousness and everything to do with his. The spirit that you have given to you at the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your regeneration, that was yours through faith, is today yours through faith and will always be yours through faith. The problem with this is that the distinction between the cross and the law comes down to a distinction between works and faith. And what does God say about our works apart from Christ in Isaiah 64? That they are filthy rags and the best they can buy us is a curse. And Paul says that curse has been taken from us at the cross. And then Paul gives us an example. He says, consider the example of Abraham. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness or credited to him as righteousness. Abram, Abraham, same person, going to bounce back and forth between the two names. But Abraham was called by God when he was probably close to 75 years old. He's called by God to get up and leave his family and move to a land that God would show him. And that when he got there, that the land would belong to him and his descendants, and he would have descendants. He was childless at the time. So he got up, he left family, he left everything he knew, he traveled across the desert and ended up in the promised land. And and God comes to him again in Genesis 15, and he says, and, and Abraham's a little bit older at this point, and he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you the land and I'm going to give you descendants. And Abraham looks at God and says, God, I'm an old man. No offense to my wife. She's an old lady. And we don't have any children. And the tradition around here is that when you get to the end of your life and you don't have any children, your most trusted servant becomes your heir. And so Eliezer is my most trusted servant. Do you intend for him to be my heir? And God says, walk outside with me for just a moment. And he points up to the the sky and and just the myriad of stars, the uncountable number of stars that Abraham could see. God says, Abraham, you will have descendants that outnumber the stars. And they will start with a child that comes directly from you and from Sarah. And even all the biological odds are stacked against you. I will provide for you a son that will be the beginning of a people who will outnumber the stars. And in fact, all nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham stands there under the stars looking up, looks at himself, looks at Sarah, understands how biology works, looks back up at the stars, and he believes that God can bring this to fruition just as he said. 
We have this short but glorious declaration in Genesis 6 that, that Paul quotes here in Galatians 3, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Later on in his letters, Paul will point out the fact, this is something that comes up often in Paul's discussions, but he will point out the fact that that Abraham's righteousness through faith came long before, years before circumcision was given to him as a mark. Long before that outward keeping of the law was given to him, it was credited to him as righteousness because he believed. And what Paul is saying here, he said, look at Abraham. He didn't have the law. He didn't have circumcision. And yet he was he was considered righteous before God simply because he believed. And Paul says, you, each and every one of you who have professed faith in Christ and in his finished work, you are one of those descendants of Abraham. Because to be considered a descendant of Abraham is no longer a biological thing. It's a spiritual thing. And in reality, that's the way it's always been. Righteousness, connection to the people of God comes through faith and belief. Yes, for a time, there were genetic people of God, but the true people of God who are those are those who believed God and had it credited to themselves as righteousness. Just as Abraham was not righteous because he was circumcised, he was righteous because of his faith. Paul says to the Galatian Christians, you're foolish because you think that your righteousness is linked to your keeping of the law. No, your righteousness was, is, and always will be credited to the faith that is yours through grace. After his nailing of the 95 Theses, Martin Luther came under the scrutiny, under the, under the, uh, 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 the, the judicial arm of the church as they thought and declared that he was proclaiming heretical beliefs and yet there was a moment sometime between that time that he, he uh, posted those 95 theses and, and four years later when his writings shift and you begin to see the comfort come into his life that came from understanding that his righteousness before God had nothing to do with himself and everything to do with Jesus the Catholic Church today, and, 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 and many of us oftentimes are tempted to do this as well, to, to see Jesus as the means by which we get started. There's this line of righteousness that's way up here out of reach. We're down here somewhere and we cannot reach this line of righteousness. And the cross brings us up here above the righteousness. And then we sin and we drop down a little bit. And then we, we sin a little bit more and we drop down a little bit more. And then we sin a little bit more and we're all of a sudden we're back below the line and we got to do something to bring us back up. We got to be righteous enough. We got to confess enough. We got to repent enough to kind of drag us back up against the line. And then we, we kind of live this life of zigzagging up and down above and below the line of righteousness, causing ourselves such grief and such turmoil because we can't do it. What Paul says, what the scriptures say, what John, what Peter, what every author of the scripture from Moses to the apostle John at the end says is that the righteousness through faith is yours and always will be. Once the cross gets you above the line of righteousness, you will always be there. And there's nothing you can do to break that. 
Brothers and sisters, give yourselves a break. Don't fight so hard thinking that, man, if I can only beat this sin, then God will finally be happy with me. In Christ, God is very happy with you. Yes, he calls you to repent. Yes, he calls you to holiness. But your success or failure in that pursuit of holiness will never separate you from his love. This wasn't a truth just for Martin Luther 504 years ago. This is a truth for us today. It brings comfort for us today because that is our only hope. That is our only comfort. And that is a truth that we are called to believe so that we can be counted as righteous. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, I do pray that you would lead us to find hope and peace in Christ and in him crucified. I pray, Lord, that you would mark my ministry, my proclamation by Christ and him crucified, and that you would lead us into our hope and into holiness through the cross. Lord, when we are down, when we are beating ourselves up because we don't feel we measure up, remind us of the righteousness that is ours through Jesus. When we are proud of ourselves because we have attained a certain level of righteousness, remind us that we have no righteousness apart from Christ. Lord, give us a strong and secure knowledge that you love us and nothing can separate us from that love that is ours in Christ Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we leave this place this week, take this blessing. Brothers and sisters, for all who live by faith, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the people of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.